Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Raven. I would like to tell you about my new sponsor, Intellectual Linear Progression. It's an online community where people are changed by the books that change the world. Intellectual Linear Progression sends you the best translations of books written by the most influential Western philosophers. Then, helps you develop good reading habits by text and email reminders. Once a month, there is an online Zoom seminar, where community members, as well as a host trained in the Socratic method, discuss what you read. This ensures that you get the most out of the reading, by seeing it from lots of different perspectives. If you're interested, please go to onlinegreatbooks.com slash ref slash VAM and use the offer code VAM to get 25% off your first three months as well as supporting Tiny Vampires. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. A member of the Agora Podcast Network. episode 19. Risks and Benefits of Oral and Spot-On Flea and Tick Treatment for Cats. I'm Raven Forrest Ruscalzo, your host. The topic was suggested by Yvonne Harris, who wants to know about the flea and tick medication we give to our pets. The topical treatment, the drops that go between an animal's shoulder blades, gave one of her cats seizures, which must have been very scary. It sounds like her cat is fine now, but the incident made Yvonne curious about these medications, their history, and their safety. Before we get into this, I just want to say, don't take veterinary advice from a podcast. This is just for your information. The active ingredient of most of these types of medication, whether for a dog or a cat, 
in a flea dip, a flea collar, topical spot-on treatments like Yvonne used, or a chewable, is either permethrin or permethroids. Permethrin is actually the oldest insecticide and is made by the plant chrysanthemum. The flowers are collected and either dried and powdered, or a solvent is used to wash the compound out of the flowers and then it's distilled. The supply is very limited because the number of growers and the amount of space it takes to grow the plants. The insecticide was used a lot during World War II for getting rid of body lice living in the troops' uniforms, which transmit the disease typhus. Because the supply was so limited and the demand was so great, the development of a synthetic version became a top priority. In 1949, Milton S. Schrechter developed the first permethroid. Permethroids, also known as pyrethroids, are just synthetic versions of permethrin. Not only do these synthetics make the pesticide more available, but the chemists also made it more stable, so it lasts longer. Pyrethroids are the reason we can put drops on our pets and not worry about doing it again for a whole month. The toxicity of these compounds is roughly the same for our purposes. And most, if not all, medications are not permethrins, but are pyrethroids. So I'm going to talk about these medications as if they're one thing. Chrysanthemums, those pretty flowers in your garden, kill insects in a pretty spectacular way. Picture a flea jumping onto a cat. At first, it moves pretty fast through the fur, looking for a place to bite. Soon it starts moving erratically, legs twitching. Every one of its tiny muscles contracts rapid fire until it falls down dead. If you could see the nerves inside this flea, every one of them would be firing and firing so fast that they don't have time to recharge, and they flatline. The neurons that make up the flea's brain can't tell its heart to beat or its trachea to breathe. The flea's entire body shuts down, and it dies. For us to figure out how this plant is doing this, we need to get into some neuroelectrophysiology, which is to say, we need to talk about how electrical impulses are generated in the insect's nerve cells. Picture a neuron. If you don't have a mental picture of a neuron handy, it's okay. Just picture a tree without all the dirt around it. So you have the branches, the trunk, and then the roots, kind of floating in space. The branches of the tree are the part of the neuron that gets signals. Whether it's light hitting the eye, the flexing of a muscle, or the signal sent from another neuron in the brain. Inside of the neuron is a lot of particles that have a negative charge. Outside, there are a lot of positively charged sodium atoms. Just like with a magnet, positive and negative atoms are attracted to each other. But the cell membrane keeps them apart. In the membrane, 
there are doors that can let sodium through at regular intervals. But they stay closed until the neuron gets signal through the branches. These are called dendrites. The signal moves down the trunk of the tree, which we refer to as an axon. A signal comes in through the top of the branches, causing the first door to open. This causes a domino effect. Every time the door opens, it lets the positive sodium ions rush in to be with the negative molecules, which causes the next door to open. In this way, the signal moves down the trunk of the tree and into the roots, where it sends the signal on to the next neuron. These doors are called sodium channels, and they each close soon after they open. Pumps in the cell membrane move the sodium back out of the cell. That way, the whole process can happen again. The process is called an action potential. So all of that is the way that it's supposed to work. But sprinkle in some permethrin, and things start to go horribly wrong for this little insect's neurons. So once again, the signal comes down the dendrites, or the branches, the sodium channels open, and the action potential starts moving down the axon, the trunk. But the doors can't close again. The permethrin is acting like a doorstop, keeping them open. Action potentials keep going off, but the pumps can't pump the sodium back out fast enough because the doors are just letting it right back in again. Eventually, there's just as much sodium outside the cell as inside. The difference in charge, negative on the inside and positive on the outside, is how the neuron sends signals. Without it, it's as useless as a dead battery. You can see how this happening to every cell in the insect's brain could kill the insect pretty quickly. So you might be thinking, if this is the way permethrin works, why don't chrysanthemums kill people or our pets? We have neurons too. Well, it's all about the shape of those sodium channels. The permethrin doesn't fit in the channels of a human or other mammals, so it can't keep them open. It doesn't mean it can't hurt us. It just means that the permethrin isn't dangerous to us in the same way that it's dangerous to insects, like fleas or arachnids, like ticks. In fact, permethrin and pyrethroids are much safer for humans and pets than other insecticides. It's only at a very high dose that they are dangerous. Some species are more likely to overdose than others. And it isn't just because of their size, either. The way the animal's livers work, its body temperature, its behavior, all make it more or less susceptible to overdose. A certain liver function is much less efficient in cats than it is in dogs, which means that if cats get too much pyrethroid medication, it can't break it down so it stays sick longer. Cats also have a lower body temperature than dogs do. 
which increases the interaction between the sodium channel and the pyrethroid. Cats also groom themselves by licking, so they can accidentally swallow the medication that is supposed to stay on its fur and skin only. Both cats and dogs can overdose on pyrethroid medications of any sort, be it getting into a pack of the chewables or accidentally eating the medication that's only supposed to go onto the skin. It's just that cats are more susceptible. If a cat does overdose, the most common symptoms are tremors, twitching, skin sensitivity, seizures, fever, and drooling in that order. They can also be as extreme as blindness and cardiac arrest. Although rare, it can be fatal. That brings us to today's paper, which is Feline Permethrin Toxicity, Retrospective Study of 42 Cases, by Bolin and Angles, back in 2010, out of Australia, to figure out if there was a common thread among cats suffering from permethrin overdose, here called toxicity. Bolin and Angles went through the records of a referral in emergency animal hospital, and found all of the cases they could between the year 2000 and 2008. To give you an idea of how rare it is, there were only 42 cats sick in that eight-year time span. As they compared the files, they looked to see if these cats had anything in common, such as age, body size, brand of medication, where the owner purchased the medication, and even if the cat had long or short hair, or if they lived with a dog or not. The most common cause of permethrin toxicity they found was the use of dog medication on a cat, or the cat was exposed to dog medication. This is true for 41 out of the 42 cats. The medications approved for the cats are only 0.05 to 0.1% permethrin while those approved for dogs are 45-65%. to 65%. Pet owners sometimes see these medications for dogs and for cats as something similar to pink versus blue shaving razors for men and women, as in basically meaningless. They buy the medications for dogs and use it on all of the animals in the house. It's an understandable but potentially fatal mistake for the cats. In the cases where the dog medication wasn't given to the cat purposely, the medication was applied to the family dog. The spot-on treatment was put between the dog's shoulder blades, like the directions say, but it wasn't allowed to dry completely before the cat and the dog were allowed to be together. The cat must have attempted to clean the spot-on treatment off of the dog's fur, swallowing the medication in the process. In the one case where it was cat medication, not dog medication, that caused the illness in a cat, it was referred to as a idiosyncratic toxicity. Meaning that for whatever reason, that particular cat is just extra sensitive to even the very low dose in cat medication, 
This sounds like what happened to Yvonne's cat. In the study, Bolin and Angles also looked at the treatment used on each cat and their effectiveness. The most effective treatment for overdose was bathing the cat to wash off the medication if it was a spot-on treatment, or charcoal to absorb the medication if it was eaten. Anti-seizure medications help stop the shaking, twitching, and seizures. After that, it's all about supportive care. Most importantly, keeping the cat's temperature just right. If it's too warm, the permethrin absorbs more quickly and makes the cat even more sick. If it's too cold, the permethrin interacts with more of the sodium channels, just like I said before. This is one reason why it's so important to let the vet be the one to bathe the cat. Because they know how to do it just right to keep the temperature at the right level and make sure they're not making things worse. Bolin and Angles did not mention who funded their work on this paper. The costs and benefits of using permethrin or pyrethroid medications are up to each pet owner and their vet. We've covered some of the potential harm. Let's talk about some of the benefits. These medications protect a pet for up to a month per dose, not only from fleas, ticks, mosquitoes, and lice, but also from the diseases those bloodsuckers carry. Flea allergy dermatitis, tapeworm, Lyme and tick paralysis, heartworm and West Nile, and tapeworm, respectively. These diseases can also be fatal. Having a close relationship with your vet, reading labels carefully and following their instructions, and keeping a close eye on your cat can make all the difference. Next month, in episode 20, our topic is the development of a vaccine for malaria, which was suggested by Mart Ottenheim. Malaria vaccines seem to be just around the corner, and we'll talk about the difficulty of developing a vaccine and why we need one so desperately. May's Agora Podcaster of the Month is Royfield Brown. He's not only our fearless leader of the Agora Podcast Network, but also is the executive producer of many truly great podcasts. His projects cover the gambit from history podcasts like 10 American Presidents, a documentary-style podcast of superb production quality, to international politics like Mid-Atlantic, a podcast where pundits from the UK and US discuss their perspectives on each other's political news. I hope that you found and continue to find this podcast informative. Please rate and review either myself or Raquel of Tiny Vampires Espanol to let us know how we're doing. We're looking for topic suggestions for episode 21. So, if you have had any biting insect or disease questions that are itching at you, now's the time to send them my way via Twitter at TinyVampiresPod, through Facebook, or at the website's contact page at TinyVampires.com. While you are on the webpage, check out the show notes. There are tons for this episode. Music credits 
and more. Thank you for listening. From me, Raven Forrest Rescalzo, now graduate of the Masters of Science program at the University of Notre Dame, and currently entomologist looking for a job if you have an opening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 